0: All right, we are in Acts chapter 16. Of course, we did not have class last week because we had a missionary reporting, but we're picking up tonight in the second missionary journey. So let's uh, let's skip ahead here. Here is the second missionary journey, and we leave, of course, from Antioch, and they're going to travel to Tarsus. They go through Derby. They come to the area of Bithynia and Asia, and the Holy Spirit tells them not to go there, but to go on to Philippi. And that is where we were when the bell rang this last time. They come into Philippi, and there is no synagogue there. And so what they do is they go to the riverside, and that is where the conversion of Lydia takes place. After the conversion of Lydia, they are traveling back and forth in the city of Philippi, and there is a slave girl who has a demon possession. And this girl is being used. She is a money-making tool. Because she has this demon, she is acting in a way that is strange, and these people are claiming that she has the ability to tell the future, and they are selling that service. And Paul, after days of this girl crying out, This man is teaching the truth. He's a follower of the one true God. Paul is annoyed, the text says, and he cast the demon out. These men saw that their means of money-making was taken away, and they are very, very aggravated about that. And so they grab Paul and Silas and his companions, and they drag him to the authorities, to the magistrates. And they can't just say, well, this man's cast out a demon, and he's taken away our means of making money. So what they said is, these men are troublemakers. They are teaching things that are not lawful for us as Romans, and it seems that it caused quite the scene. And as a result of that, they take Paul and Silas, and they beat them. It seems that it was a very brutal beating. They would take rods, and they would just beat them until they bled. Now, with the, the Jews they had a limit they would beat them 39 times and that is all the romans had no such limit and so they would just beat them mercilessly so they beat them then they throw them in jail overnight and it seems that in their thinking this would teach them a lesson and enough would be enough well while they're in jail that night you remember they're singing the prisoners heard them there's an earthquake as a result of that All of the gates swing open, and their chains just fall off of them. The jailer then wakes up. He's been sleeping, apparently. He wakes up, and he sees that the doors are open and the chains are off. And what does he think? Okay, everyone's escaped. He draws his sword. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We are all here. And then the jailer comes in to him, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, that is the story thus far and where we will pick up. So why don't we pick up at verse number 29, and let's see. uh, David's going to read for us, right? Okay, Acts 16,
1: 29. And he called for a lot, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved?
0: Okay. Do you have a mic on? I could barely hear you. Yeah, I'm green. Could y'all hear him? Okay. Is, is his mic on back there? Okay. Say something again, David. Can you hear me? At, can y'all hear him? Okay. Now we can. All right. So the jailer, it says, he called for a light. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Why is he trembling? Okay, there's probably some. Think of everything that's happened. An earthquake took place. That would shake you up, right? No pun intended. And then the doors are open and the chains fall off. And what's going to happen? He's thinking that he's got to kill himself. When you reach the point that you're ready to commit suicide, you're pretty disturbed. Then he comes in and he finds out everyone is still there. This is an extremely emotional experience. He falls down before them. At this point, he evidently realized that this was divine. This has come from God. He is trembling in front of them, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's my question for you. Why did he ask them this question? Why did he say, what must I do to be saved? Okay. It would seem to indicate that, that he knew something about salvation. Now, this man is a heathen. He is in a city that is new to Christianity. And so, as a Roman, what he would know about Christianity at this point would probably be very, very little. What would his background be religiously? It's going to be some sort of false religion, some sort of heathen God, uh, some sort of idol, something of that nature. It's not like you're going to go in and teach a person from a denomination who knows something about Christ. It's not like you're going to go in and teach a Catholic who understands the death, burial, and resurrection. He is going to come from a background that knows nothing of Christianity, and yet he says, what must I do to be saved? That indicates that he knows something. Where did he get that knowledge from? Why had they been arrested? What's that? Okay, this woman who uh, was purported to be a fortune teller, what had she been crying out? Okay, these are men of the one true God and they're teaching the truth. She's been crying that out for days and Finally, they cast the demon out of her, and they get arrested for this. Do you think the news of this was spreading around? Do you think people were talking about this in the city? Do you think the jailer had heard about this and knew why they were arrested? I think so. And at this point, when the earthquake takes place, it seems to indicate everything that's been said is true. They cast out a demon. There is one true God. They have been preaching salvation. Everything that they are preaching is the truth. I think that's what's going on here. That's why he comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? What was the purpose of miracles in the first century? To confirm the word. And so to say the message is really from God. And so a demon is cast out, an earthquake takes place. What is this saying? This is the true message from God, and he recognizes that, and he comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, it's very interesting because the question, what must I do to be saved, is asked, in essence, three times in the book of Acts. It is asked the first time when? (laughs) Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And the answer on that occasion is what? Repent and be baptized. Every member of the Lord's church knows that. What verse is that? Acts Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. It is asked a second time by, depending on um, which chapter you look at, it's asked a second time by Paul, who is Saul at the time. And what is Saul told? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins. That's asked in Acts, he, his conversion is in Acts 9 and uh, 22 are the main ones. Acts 9 and 22 and 26, it's repeated again. But in Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, he's told, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. This man asked the question, and what is he told? What does verse 31 say? Believe on the Lord with all thy house, and thou shalt be saved." Why is this question asked three different times, and it's given three different answers? Does that seem strange? Okay, because each person's at a different stage. You know, at the end of almost every sermon, I always teach the plan of salvation is to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. So. If I am talking to a person and I've already taught them the Word and they believe the Word and they say to me, what do I need to do? I'm not going to say, well, you need to hear the Word and believe it because they've already done that. So I'm going to pick up and I'm going to tell them where they are at that point. What if you've got a person who has heard and believed and repented and confessed And they say, look, I've changed my mind. I want to live right. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What do I need to do? What would you tell that person? You need to be baptized. You're going to give a different answer to a person depending on where they are, spiritually speaking. It's like making a journey. If a person leaves California and they're headed to Cookville, Tennessee, and before they leave, they ask someone for directions, they're going to get an answer that you've got. I don't know how many miles it is from here to California. What is it? 2,000 miles? Does that sound about right? 2,000 miles? Let's say that you drive for a day, and then you stop and ask a person, how many miles is it to Cookville, Tennessee? What would you expect? You think somebody's going to tell you 2,000 miles? You'd be disturbed if you got that answer, wouldn't you? Why? Because you're at a different point in the journey, you're going to get a different answer. You drive another day, what are you going to get? Hopefully you're going to get a different answer. And so it's not a strange thing that people in different places are going to get a different answer to this question. So this man asked, what must I do to be saved? And he is told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why was he told to believe? Okay, he had not believed, he didn't know what to believe. This man comes from a heathen background, he would have believed in false gods, and so the whole process, he sees a miracle, he recognizes the message they're teaching is the truth, but I don't know anything about it, and so he goes to them and he falls down and says, what do I need to do? And they said, you need to believe on Jesus Christ, as opposed to what? The Temple of Diana? the heathen gods, whatever it is, in essence, he's being told, you need to receive the religion of Jesus Christ. That is, uh, as opposed to the things that you have been following. And so they start him at the very beginning, right? Because that's where he is. He's the man who's in California, and he's told, you've got 2,000 miles to go. You've got to believe. Now, this is probably the most popular verse that is used, to teach faith only. People will go to this verse and they will say, the Philippian jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he was told, believe and you will be saved. And I have had this discussion with people and they will say, look, it says believe and you will be saved. And that's what he did. And so I believe the Lord. He didn't say that he had to do anything else. I believe what the Bible says. What do you say to that? Okay, a few verses later, he, he does some more. But the response, and if you've ever, this is a very important discussion because this comes down to converting people and what the Bible actually says a person must do to be saved. I've had this discussion with people about Acts 16, and what they will say is, well, he, he did do some other things, but they weren't necessary to be saved because he was told, believe and you will be saved. That's all that was required for him to be saved, was to believe. That's all he said. It is true he did some other things and he was taught other things, but those weren't necessary for salvation. What do you say? Who did? Oh, he taught this verse this morning. And he taught it as a faith-only verse, I presume. Okay, this is, like I say, one of, if not the most common verse that's used to teach that. Okay, faith without works is dead. You go to James chapter 2, and you could discuss that. Okay. 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 All right. That's true. Absolutely, that is true. I typically will ask a person when they say this, um, do you believe that a person has to repent? You know what they'll say? Every person I have ever asked that will say, well, yeah, you've got to repent. And I'll say, well, this verse doesn't mention that. Well, They'll say, well, that that's implied. That's included. When you say that you've got to believe, that's part of it. And I'll say, do you believe that you have to confess Christ? Romans 10, 9 and 10. And they will say, well, yeah, you've got to confess Christ. And I will say, it doesn't say that. And they'll say, well, you know, belief implies that it, it implies these other things. It implies that you've got to repent. It implies that you've got to confess, and I will say, well, doesn't belief imply that also that you've got to obey and be baptized? Well, no. Well, why not? You see the problem? You see the dilemma that you get into? Because they will want to latch on to one verse that says one thing, but there are other things that they will acknowledge are implied in this and are required as a part of this. Um, let's keep going here. He's told to believe. All right, let's read, uh, let's read the next verse. Where did we leave off here? Verse... Um, we stopped at 30, so you
1: are start at 31. Uh, yeah, go ahead and read 31 and 32. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Go ahead and read 33 too. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately, he and his family were baptized.
0: Okay. They said, believe on the Lord, and you will be saved. And then they spoke unto him the word of the Lord. So, they had to tell him some more. There was something that was required. Now, what is normally taught today in the denominational world when it comes to this? People are told, believe on the Lord, and you will be saved. And they will say, what that means is, you will say this prayer, you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, and you are saved, you can be baptized sometime later, that's not really uh, a matter of salvation, but we will get together a group in a month or so and we will do that. When you read this context, is that what happened? If that's what is required, when he was told, believe on the Lord and you will be saved, What would you expect to read next? You would expect to read something like that, that he prayed to the Lord and accepted Jesus into his heart. You would expect to see a sinner's prayer, and then it says that he was saved. You would expect something like that, but you don't find anything like that. What you see is, they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and immediately he was baptized. Now, here's my question. Where did he get the idea that he needed to be baptized? When they spoke unto him the word of the Lord. So they said, you need to um, believe on Jesus Christ. Believe what? So they told him, and immediately he was baptized. So when they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, that's when they explained to him what it was he needed to believe, and the very next thing we read is immediately he was baptized. Why did he do that? Why did he conclude that? Because they told him to believe, and they told him what to believe, and immediately he did it. We don't read anything about him accepting Jesus into his heart. What we see is they taught him, and then we see what he did. Uh, Justin, did you have a comment? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, if we go back to go back to Acts chapter eight for a second, I thought I put this in my notes, but I can't find it here. Look at Acts chapter eight and verse. Uh, back up to verse number. Where do we want to start? Verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now, what would that mean? He goes and he preached Christ unto them. Just keep that in your mind. What was the equivalent in Acts 16? When he preached to the Philippian jailer, what's the equivalent statement? Okay, he preached God's Word. Philip preached Christ unto them, and the Philippian jailer, they taught unto him the Word of the Lord. Would you agree those are the same thing? Sure. After they taught the word of the Lord to him, immediately he was baptized. All right? Look uh, here in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now look at verse number 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So he preaches Christ, and they were baptized. Why? When they believed. He preached Christ, they believed it, and they were baptized. All right, let's keep going. Look in Acts chapter 8. Stay in Acts chapter 8 and go down to the Ethiopian eunuch. And look at verse number 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say, of whom does he say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Now I want you to notice three parallel statements. Philip goes down and he preaches Christ. They believed and they were baptized. Why Why were they baptized? Because they believed what he said. What he taught them resulted in them being baptized. This says, then Philip, beginning at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Now as they came down the road, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then we look at the Philippian jailer, and they said, you got to believe. Then they taught unto him the word of the Lord, and immediately he was baptized. Do you see a pattern in the book of Acts that's always consistent? We are told, they taught them the word of the Lord, they said you've got to believe what we're teaching, and immediately that resulted in baptism. Why? Apparently, whatever it was that they taught required baptism. All right, any comments? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. B- yes, biblical faith is, uh, includes obedience to the Lord. Okay, let's keep reading here. Acts 16, uh, 32. Read 32 and go forward if you don't mind.
1: Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized.
0: Okay, let's stop there for a minute. Um, Why, after he taught unto him the word of the Lord, was he baptized? Because apparently that was part of the word of the Lord that was taught to him. Why did he immediately baptize him? in the middle of the night. Did that seem like the appropriate thing to do? It's midnight, it's dark, and he takes him and baptizes him. Why does he do that immediately? Okay, he realized he was in a lost condition, and this had to be done immediately. This is something that uh, I try to stress to people, is that if baptism is for the remission of sins, like it's taught in Acts 2.38, then you need to do this. You don't wait to do this. I saw a Church of Christ recently, and they were advertising, this coming week, or on such and such a date, they were down on the Gulf, and they said, we're going to have baptisms in the Gulf of Mexico. Come on this day. And I thought, it seems like they're using the Gulf to entice people to come and be baptized, but that's not a biblical pattern to say, wait until this date, and we're going to have mass baptisms. In the Bible, they always did it immediately. I think it's interesting that we're told he taught him the word of the Lord. He said, believe it, he taught it, he was immediately baptized. Where did he get it? Apparently, that's what he was taught, and he did immediately in the middle of the night. We had a fellow one time that contacted us. He had been watching GBN. And he decided that he needed to be baptized. And he he reached out to me via email. And we studied online together. He was in England. And I said, let me try to find you a congregation and someone who can baptize you. So I found him someone. And he said, no, I want to be baptized by you. And I said, well, I'm a paraplegic. I, I couldn't baptize you if I wanted to. And he said well, I want to be baptized by someone over there. I went on to express to him, you don't wait to be baptized. He insisted. He said, I went to the church here and I visited and I don't feel like they're sound and I want to make sure someone sound baptizes me. And he said, I'm going to fly to America and have you baptize me. And I tried to talk him out of it, but that's what he insisted on doing. I said, what if the plane were to go down between now and then? What about that? He flew to America, and we baptized him. Um, We published that this man was baptized, and we celebrated with him. I think he had a mistaken thought about having to be baptized by specific people, but he understood the purpose. We published that, and then we were attacked. GBN was attacked because we held the idea that it's okay to wait to be baptized. We did not believe that. We do not teach that. The Bible teaches that people are baptized immediately. But many times over the years, I have studied with people, and it will get to the point, and I will say, do you understand what you need to do? Yes, I do. You understand baptisms for the remission of sins? Absolutely. Do you want to be baptized? I do. You want to do it now? Well, let's wait till Sunday. I don't understand that. And I'll try to explain to them that if you're washed in the blood of Christ, why would you wait? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, he did it immediately. It's the middle of the night. He is baptized for the remission of his sins. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Now, they had been beaten prior to this. He throws them in prison, and now he takes them out. He's of a very different demeanor. He's washing their stripes, cleaning them up, Washing their stripes, what would that indicate? Probably that they had been bleeding. They probably had dry blood on them at this point. When you see his change of attitude, what does that indicate to you? I think it's an uh, indication of repentance. This man's heart had changed. His mind, repentance means a change of mind. This man's had a change of mind. And so he's convinced something needs to happen. He asked them, tell me what to do. They explain to him the word of the Lord. He says, I want to be baptized. They go the same hour of the night. They're baptized. He starts cleaning them up. Why? Because of his repentance. All right? Um, Next.
1: Now when when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Okay. He
0: takes them into the house, and he sets food before them, and he rejoices. Now... This doesn't prove anything, but it is an interesting thing the way the Bible lays this out. He says, what do I need to do? And they said, believe. At that point, he didn't know what to believe. They taught unto him the word of the Lord. Immediately he was baptized, which implies teaching him the word of the Lord means that baptism was something that he had to do. They immediately baptized him. He cleans them up, expressing his repentance, and then he rejoiced. Every time in the New Testament that baptism and rejoicing are mentioned together, the rejoicing always follows the baptism. We don't read that he accepted Jesus into his heart and he was saved and rejoiced. You don't read that he said, I now uh, accept you as my personal Savior or say this sinner's prayer because it's never in the Bible, and he rejoiced. It's nothing like that. The pattern is always the same. They are taught that they need to believe, they need to be baptized, and the rejoicing always follows that. What is very interesting, I had made some notes on this, and for the life of me, I can't find them now. Um, Here it is, all right, it's further down in my notes. It says that they set food before him, and then he rejoiced, and then it says, having believed in the Lord. It's very interesting because there are some things that are lost in the language. And this phrase, having believed, is a Greek perfect tense. I did some reading about this. It says, Luke was making the point that the jailer went through a process of several actions before it could be stated that he uh, was in possession of a saving faith. What does that mean? Let me read you. Uh, A definition, a description of this particular uh, tense. It says, there is no, and this is the phrase, having believed in the Lord, there is no English tense corresponding to the Greek perfect, which focuses on result. It is unique in its ability to provide precision on certain matters. Consider the following brief explanation of the meaning of the perfect tense by Greek grammarian Dana and Monte. It says, the perfect is the tense of a complete action. It implies a process, but views the process of having reached its uh, consummation and existing in a finished state. Now, I know all of that sounds confusing, but what it is, is this. When he finished the entire process and was baptized, the Bible says, then he had believed in the Lord. What does that mean? It is a perfect tense, saying it's not belief only. It is a process. The belief is an obedient faith. It would be like this. If I said to someone, uh, maybe they've got some disease, maybe they've got cancer, and I go and I say to them, you need to go to this doctor and you need to trust him. Trust this doctor and and you're going to be okay. And they said... Okay, well, I trusted him, and he told me to do several things, and I didn't do them, but you said to trust him. Can you say you trust? If, if you trust the doctor, doesn't that trust imply that you're going to do what he says to do? Can you say that you trusted him if you did not do what he said to do? It's interesting because I looked up the word trust in the New Testament today, and I looked up the word belief in the New Testament today. Both of these come from the same word and it is Pistuo. They both carry with the idea of belief or trust. In essence, this is what is happening. They said, he said to them, what must I do to be saved? And they said, you've got to believe, you've got to trust in the Lord. And then they told him what that involved. When he finished doing these things, the Bible says he had trusted in the Lord. The idea is trusting, having belief, involves following through with works of obedience. Not works of personal merit, not works that save you, not works of the law of Moses, but works of obedience. And that is why the Bible stresses the difference in those two things. Any comments or questions? Yeah, that's true. Um, It's a part standing for the whole. And why is it that belief is often the thing that is stated? Because it's the first one. It's the very first thing. And faith, that is an obedient faith, all faith in the Bible that is real faith has to be obedient faith. And so to say we are saved by faith, that involves all of these other things. Does this make sense?
1: Questions or comments? Okay, let's go to the next verse then. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officer saying, let those men go. Okay, the next morning, the
0: official said, let the men go. We've made the point. Uh, they've been beaten. They're going to go on about their business. And I think that was the final bell. But what's going to happen is Paul is going to say to them, um, they, we're not just going to leave here because we're Roman citizens. And they beat us and threw us in prison, and we didn't get a trial, and so this is not acceptable. They have to come themselves and tell us to go. When the men find out they are Roman citizens, they are scared to death. It made me think about some police officers today who might do something illegal, and then they find out the whole thing was on camera. They're scared to death. Oh, man, we did something illegal, and we are nailed, and we are in big trouble, and that's what's happening with these guys now. They are scared because they beat Roman citizens. All right, we'll pick up there next week. Thanks.